Uh, well, with all that said, it is time to enter into a new series. We're starting a series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And if you can't tell, this is uh, Lance Red is now on staff with us. He's part-time in creating some of our visual stuff as we prepare for Pastor Shane transitioning out. Uh, we've been doing some work on who's going to be doing what. And so we've hired uh, Lance to come in. And he did a great job on our first uh, series that he, he worked on for us. If you can't tell, it's a scorched earth, but yet you see life coming out of that. And the book of 1 Thessalonians is about holiness and hope in a hostile world. And so that whole idea of that artwork there is, is a hostile environment, a hostile world, and yet we are made for holiness and we have hope. We're excited about getting this series started. I want to pray with you, and then uh, after I'm done praying with you, they're going to roll a video, and it's a seven-minute long video from the Bible Project people. They do such a great job of the cartoon drawings and the uh, introductions to books and what it's all about that I thought we would take the time to watch that today, the first day of our six-week series in, in First Thessalonians. So you can open your Bibles. You'll meet me there in the book of First Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll pray, and then we'll show the video. Would you pray with me this this morning. Would you say this prayer silently to God? Just, God, if there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Even better than that, God, since there's something you do want me to hear, I am willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God this morning. And then, God, we pray above all things you'd be glorified. I pray that the people hearing this message would be edified. And I pray that Satan would be horrified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. This is most likely the earliest letter that we have from Paul. And the backstory for it is found in the book of Acts. It's where Paul and his co-worker Silas went to the ancient Greek city of Thessalonica. And after just one month of telling people the good news about Jesus, a large number of Jewish and Greek people gave their allegiance to Jesus and they formed the first church community there. But trouble was brewing. Paul's announcement of the risen Jesus as the true Lord of the world, it led to suspicion. So the Christians in Thessalonica were eventually accused of defying Caesar, the Roman emperor, when they said that there is another king, Jesus. And this led to a persecution that got so intense, Paul and Silas actually had to flee from the city. And this was painful for them because they loved the people there so much. And so this letter is Paul's attempt to reconnect with the Christians in Thessalonica after he got a report from Timothy that they were doing more than okay, they were flourishing despite this intense persecution. He designed the letter to have two main movements. First is a celebration of their faithfulness to Jesus, and then he challenges them to keep growing as followers of Jesus. And then these two movements are surrounded by three prayers— the letter opens with a thanksgiving prayer. The two movements are linked together by a transitional prayer. And then the whole thing is concluded with a final prayer. It's a beautiful design. Paul opens by giving thanks and celebrating the Thessalonians' faith, their love for others, and their hope in Jesus despite persecution. He goes on to retell the story of their conversion, how they used to be idolatrous polytheists, and they were living in a culture where all of life was permeated by institutions and practices that honored the Greek and Roman gods. And Paul talks about how they turned away from those idols to serve the living and true God, and that they're now waiting for the coming of God's Son from heaven. 
So in a city like Thessalonica, transferring your allegiance to the creator God of Israel and to King Jesus, this came at a cost. Isolation from your neighbors, hostility from your family. But for the Thessalonians, the overwhelming love of Jesus who died for them and the hope of his return, it made it all worth it. Paul then retells the story of his mission in Thessalonica and of the dear friendships he formed with the people. He uses really intimate metaphors here. They treated him like their child, and he became like their mother and like their father. He says, we were happy to share with you not only the good news from God, but our very selves, because we came to dearly love you. Paul reminds us here that the essence of Christian leadership is not about power and having influence. It's about healthy relationships and humble, loving service. He reminds them that he never asked for money. He simply came to love and serve them in the name of Jesus. And so Paul moves on to reflect on their common persecution. Just like Jesus was rejected and killed by his own people, so now Paul is persecuted by his fellow Jews, and the Thessalonians are facing hostility from their Greek neighbors. And Paul draws a strange comfort from knowing that together their sufferings are a way of participating in the story of Jesus' own life and death. Paul then shares about the anguish he experienced when he heard of the hardships the Thessalonians had after he and Silas fled. So he sent Timothy to support them and see how they were doing. And to his joy, Timothy discovered that they were going strong. They were faithful to Jesus. They were full of love for God and their neighbors. And they longed to see Paul as much as he longed to see them. And so Paul concludes with a prayer for endurance. And what's cool is that he introduces here the topics he's going to address in the letter's second half. He prays that God will grow their capacity to love, that he'll strengthen their commitment to holiness as they fix their hope on the return of King Jesus. So he opens the letter's second movement by challenging them to a life that's consistent with the teachings of Jesus. So this means, first of all, a serious commitment to holiness and sexual purity. In contrast to the promiscuous, sexually destructive culture around them, they are to follow Jesus' teaching about experiencing the beauty and the power of sex within the haven of a committed marriage covenant relationship. God takes sexual misbehavior seriously, Paul says. It dishonors and destroys people and their dignity. Following Jesus also means a commitment to loving and serving others. So Paul instructs them that Christians should be known in the city as reliable people who work really hard, not just to make money, but so that they can have resources to provide for themselves and to generously share with people who are in need. After this, Paul addresses a number of questions the Thessalonians had raised about the future hope of Jesus' return. So some Christians in the church had recently died, most likely killed as martyrs, and their friends and family are wondering about their fate when Jesus returns. And so Paul makes it clear that despite their grief and loss, not even death can separate Christians from the love of Jesus. When he returns as king, he will call both the living and the dead to himself. And Paul uses a really cool image here. He uses language that would normally describe how a city subject to the Roman Caesar would send out a delegation to welcome or meet his arrival. Paul then applies this imagery to the arrival of King Jesus. He too will be greeted by a delegation of his people who will go to meet the Lord in the air as they welcome and escort him back to this world where he'll establish his kingdom of justice and peace. Paul then wants the Thessalonians to see how this hope should motivate faithfulness to Jesus. 
So he pokes fun at the famous Roman propaganda that it's Caesar who brings peace and security. Of course, Rome's peace came through violence, through enslaving their enemies and military occupation. And Paul warns that Jesus will return as king one day and confront this kind of injustice. Followers of King Jesus should live in the present as if that future day is already here. Despite the nighttime of human evil around them, they should stay sober and awake as the light of God's kingdom dawns here on earth as it is in heaven. Paul closes all of these exhortations like he began with a hopeful prayer, that God would permeate their lives with his holiness, that he would set them apart to be completely devoted and blameless until the return of King Jesus. First Thessalonians reminds us that from the very beginning, following Jesus as king has produced a truly countercultural or holy way of life. And this will sometimes generate suspicion and conflict among our neighbors. But the response of Jesus' followers to such hostility should always be love, meeting opposition with grace and generosity. And this way of life, it's motivated by hope in the coming kingdom of Jesus that has already begun in his resurrection from the dead. And so holiness, love, and future hope, that's what First Thessalonians is all about. Those are really good, aren't they? <laughs> Hope you like cartoons. It's all right. Why well, spend six weeks now? You've already got the whole thing. Well, because I got a plan to preach, so we're going to go for that. Get your Bibles open to First Thessalonians chapter one. We're going to do the whole chapter this morning, one through ten. Holiness and hope in a hostile world. The book of 1 Thessalonians, I know you got the big run through there, but just real quickly, uh, written by Paul. Most, uh, most scholars uh, do agree. There's not much controversy on this topic. Paul is the author. Somewhere around AD 50. Uh, so after Christ uh, rose uh, and went to heaven about 50 years later, uh, Paul was on his, uh, one of his missionary journeys, and he only was in uh, Thessalonica for about uh, three weeks, maybe four, but not more than that. Only about a month was he with these people, and the church was form. Pretty amazing. They survived after only having Paul in their presence for less than a month. And then there's the recipients, the church in Thessalonica. I know that they say Thessalonica on the video. I say Thessalonica because I've always said Thessalonica ever since I've been a little kid and I've heard it said. There's big difference. Uh, people from the east, out in the far east, take all the I's and turn them into E. You're not supposed to say Iraq and Iran. It's Iraq and Iran. Do you guys know that? And you say, I don't care. So then I don't care how you say Thessalonica. Just say the way I do. Thessalonica, all right? So it's to this church in Thessalonica. And the letter is to a young church living on the growing edge, surrounded by a hostile world, anticipating the coming of Christ. Over and over again, you're going to hear this theme. It's, yes, you're suffering, but live a righteous life. Live holy. Live like Jesus with the hope that he'll come soon. So here's Thessalonica. Here it is on the map so you can kind of get an idea of where it's at. Uh, you can see it's a seaport. It's a prominent seaport about 100 miles from Philippi, 40 miles from Berea. It's popular for commerce and travel. Population was estimated at 200,000 roughly. And then there's a key verse. If you look at all of 1 Thessalonians and you had to boil down into one key verse, it would be 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of this. This is what Paul is saying. It's holiness and, and hope 
in a hostile world. Now, I don't usually use the message, but I was reading through many versions of Thessalonians, and I loved how the message worded 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, and I'll add verse 24. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. The one who has called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. I love the way 1 Thessalonians uh, is is used there in in the message. And then on the video, I grabbed this uh, screenshot there of their whole synopsis of 1 Thessalonians. Following Jesus produces a countercultural, holy, everybody say holy, a holy way of life that responds to hostility with love and generosity that is motivated by hope in the coming kingdom of Jesus. I thought that was well done. So we have a big idea for today in our passage. That was a big overview of the whole thing. But our passage today, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 1, the Christian mission, passing it on, the marks of an effective church, Apparently, this young church, even though they only had the Apostle Paul there for a limited amount of time, they were being effective. They were doing it. Good on you, church in Thessalonica. And so, uh, to set the scene maybe for this whole thing, I want to tell you a story. Please, stories and illustrations, don't overthink them, okay? I'm going to tell you a story about hunting. If you hate hunting and you love animals, don't send me letters, okay? It's just a story. Matter of fact, this never actually happened, okay? It's a made-up story, so it's a pretend story. It's a story about a, a, an Australian hunter, big game hunter, who went to Africa, and he was going to look for big game. And, and this Australian hunter was wandering through the, the African tundra when he came upon a huge downed elephant, huge downed Again, this didn't happen. The elephant's alive. He's fine, okay? But he came upon this huge downed elephant, huge tusk, mammoth, big beast. And next to it was this little tiny small African guy with a stick. And he looks at this guy and he goes, did did you take down this elephant? Yes, I did. "How, How did you do that? He said, with my club. And the hunter said, how big is your club? And he said, well, there's about 60 of us. So you thought he hit him. It didn't happen. The elephant's fine, okay? And hitting elephants with sticks is wrong, okay? But the story's good, and it makes a good point. If you want to take down an elephant, it's best done with a club. You guys, we are the church. Say, we are the church. Better yet, say, I am the church. You're just one of the parts of the body, but you're, you're the church. And together as a club, we're to go take down the elephant. And the elephant is, is we live in a lost, lost world. We're to make disciples. And we're to be effective as a church. We're not alone. We're not a small little hunter on, on a mission. We, we, we've got a club. We've got the whole body of Christ. And we're to, we're to take down this elephant. And so we are to pass it on. Missions, what we're talking about. So let's read. You, you're with me in 1 Thessalonians 1. Let me read 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 10. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. An effective church is injected with purpose. Everybody say purpose. A, an effective church has to be injected with purpose. 
This church understood their purpose. Matter of fact, in verse three, it was said so well. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. What a great, what a great commendation by the Apostle Paul for this young church. He recognized they're doing it. You're doing it. Man, you're living by faith. You're suffering, but you're enduring. You're loving. Their faith, love, and endurance is inspired by hope in Jesus in a rough situation. I'd like to have you think about the the world we live in today as a hostile world and yet, I don't, I don't think it's, it's nearly what it was for these people. I mean, I, I know America is suffering and we struggle and there's some religious persecution, but by, by no means, by no means, nobody's, nobody's come and burned down your house because you're a believer. No, nobody's come and, 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 and told you you can't have this job. I mean, I, we do suffer, don't get me wrong, and we can kind of look at this, but, but we're talking about a young church who heard about the gospel and was radically changed and lost and suffered so much. I noticed some of you were chuckling as you watched the cartoon and those poor people with black eyes and scratches and the tomato was coming in. Some of you are paying attention. When the tomato started coming in to hit that person, you're like, ah. They really suffered. I know, I know. Some of you might be saying, well, I suffered too. I don't know if anywhere near the kind of suffering. Not that it won't come. I think there's a time coming where, and it's becoming more and more difficult to be a Christian in our culture today. Used to be, used to be an honored thing, used to be a respected thing, God and country, but no, no, no longer, no longer. And so it's heading in the direction. I don't know if we're there yet, but boy, it's heading in the direction of suffering for the cause of Christ. And this young church had faith expressing itself in love. Apparently what Paul is saying is, boy, you're passing it on. You get your purpose. You're injected with purpose. You're telling others about Christ. And that's what a, an effective church does. An effective church is injected with purpose. So I want to remind you of ours. What does Oakwood say is our mission? Our motto is on the wall right over there, right behind the wall, on the other side in the lobby. Our motto is, is um, it, it's all about uh, Grounded in faith, guided by grace, and going in love. That's a good motto, but that's not our purpose in, in entirely. Our, our purpose or our mission is to multiply Christ-like disciples. I'll stop there because then we just define what that means. Make disciples who make disciples. That's what our purpose is. Everything we do, we hope that we're doing it to help make disciples, either to make new disciples or take disciples and disciple them. It's about making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Christianity was never meant to be an addition kind of a mentality. It's a multiplication mentality. If I'm a believer and I tell two people about Christ and they get saved, uh, that's not just plus two. See, those two people need to tell two people. Now we've got much more. And, And it multiplies out from there. So we multiply, everybody say multiply. Multiply Christ-like disciples who are, and this is where our pod car, see the pod car there toward the left, P-O-D-C-A-R, that's how you're supposed to remember this, pod car. If you can't remember this, you gotta get a tattoo, just put it on your arm or something. To multiply Christ-like disciples who are, 
passionate about their God, obedient to God's word, dependent on God through prayer, connected to one another, authentic and relevant in their witness. Do you see how our purpose there needs to be, you need to be injected with this purpose. We need to be passionate about our God. This morning, wasn't that anointed worship? Thank you, Clicks, for that. Wasn't that, I noticed we were singing, I could hear you singing today. That thrills my soul. We should be passionate about our God, obedient to his word, that's, that's one of the things. Are you injected with purpose? We should be obeying God's word. Dependent on God through prayer. Connected to one another. There should be fellowship, unity. That's why I sent the email out this weekend. Don't, don't stay home when you can come. And again, I'm not picking on anybody who has to stay home. We've got many who have to stay home and watch. And if you're watching and have to be there, I'm thankful we have this opportunity. But it's not the best. The best opportunity is when you show up. Because when we show up, we can be connected to one another. We need you to be here. And the church uh, uh, needs to, to, to sense the body together in action. It's impossible to, to, to fully serve when you're disconnected. It's impossible to fully worship. You're saying, oh, I can worship God alone. Yeah, you can, but you're missing out on the body connection worship. Authentic and relevant in their witness. This comes down to that purpose again, our injection. What are you injected with? We need to tell others about Christ. Uh, According to what Pastor Ben said many weeks ago when he preached, it's what we do. It's what we do. And so our purpose. Now I want to highlight one thing, dependent on God through prayer. I met with the elders last Tuesday and I told them this is my concern. You're going to hear more about this for, for 2022. It's going to have to be one of the emphasis that we focus on is prayer we as a people as a church at oakwood are we a praying people are we praying specifically for people to come to christ do we have a hit list or a most wanted list of people we're saying god give us these people save these people whether it be your parents or grandparents family members or neighbors co-workers we need to be praying is our church a dependent upon god through prayer church We're going to focus on that. Look for that coming at the first of the year. We're going to really try to make it a year of prayer. Injected with purpose. The second thing an effective church is infected with the gospel. Everybody say gospel. We need to be infected with the gospel. And if you haven't caught on by now, what a great time during COVID, this worldwide pandemic, to talk about being injected and to be infected. We're going to use the whole thing today. So get over it, right? Not too soon. Is it? Is it too soon? Okay, it's not too soon. I'm going to use it as my illustration today. We need to be infected. We need to be infected with the gospel. Alistair Begg says we ought to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Even if we're saved, the gospel of Jesus must be our consuming passion. Let's look at verse 4 and 5. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and the Lord. Some great stuff there. This church in Thessalonica... They were injected with purpose, but they were infected with the gospel. Is the gospel our consuming passion? I hope it's your consuming passion. I hope it consumes you every day. How do you test for it? Have I been infected with the gospel? Uh, Remember, maybe it's going on still right now. Do I have COVID? Do I have COVID? I just, I got to kind of run into it. My throat's kind of itchy. 
You ever have that moment? How many of you have thought, oh no, I have COVID? Anybody have that moment, right? And it's allergy season. I mean, I got it this summer. I got allergies really bad. And allergies is, looks, looks like COVID. And so, oh, what do you do? What do you do? Well, you go get tested. We got to go get tested. And so what do you do? You run to the right aid and you get a quick test. No, because the rapid test, nobody believes in those. They don't trust the answer. They always say yes or no, but then you're like, I don't know. I better go get the, the real one. What's that called? PCR or whatever it is. Got to get the real test. The one that goes really deep and really knows, right? So there's either a rapid test or there's a, a deeper test. What about you? Are you infected with the gospel? Well, take a rapid test this morning. Let me just ask you one question. Have you noticed a change? What's your symptoms? Church, are you infected with the gospel? Well, what's your symptoms? Why did you come today? Every time I've had to have a test, and I've had to have like 10 of them, it seems like, because uh, I got found out this person I was with, or this person I was with, or that person I was with, or whatever, and, and I had it once. And so I'm sick of those tests. But you go and take a test. The first thing they say, why do you think you have it? Were you around somebody? Did you catch it? Do you have any symptoms? Has there been a change? Can you smell stuff? Can you taste stuff? Do you have a fever? Let me ask you, church. Let me ask you, individual in the body. What's your rapid test? Have you been infected with the gospel? Have you noticed any change? Be silly if I'm feeling totally healthy and I'm feeling totally great and I haven't been around anybody that I know that has COVID. I just run and take a test every day. That'd be silly. I run go take a test because I feel like, oh, I might have something. Oh, no. I better go check that out. There's been some kind of change. I can't smell anymore. I can't taste anymore. I'm running a fever. I'm sweating. I have no energy. If you notice a change, you're supposed to go, church, has there been a change in your life? That's the rapid test. You can go to 1 John for the deeper dive. 1 John lays no bones about it. In 1 John, he, he says, are you obedient? Are you obedient to God? Those who say that they love God, if they're not obedient to God, they're a liar and the truth's not in them. Whoa. John just does the deep dive. You want to know if you're truly a believer, you have been truly affected by the gospel? Are you obedient to God? Then he says, do you love other people? Do you love other people? Are you showing love to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you showing love to those who don't know Jesus? Love is a good symptom of being infected by the gospel. Then he says, uh, uh, got to put on glasses to read that one. Holiness. Do you shun sin? Do you, does sin bother you? Or have you been kind of just uh, dulled over by your sin? If you're dulled over by your sin and your sin doesn't bother you, you might not be infected. You might not be infected. And then finally he says, you'll stay. You'll stay with the church. Don't give up on God. Don't walk away from it all. Those who stay and are obedient and are full of love and are shunning sin in their lives, that's the deep dive. Boy, if you got all those things, you're in deep. You got it sick. You better watch out. You're infected. And we need an infected church in this world. We are not going to win this world over to something if we haven't caught it ourselves. Are you infected with the gospel? Are you injected with purpose? this morning as we continue to talk about it, the gospel should be easily spread without any remedy or cure. You talk about COVID being contagious. Oh no, we got a Delta 19. It's really contagious. Well, guess what, church? The, the, the church is injected with the gospel and we're contagious and we, it should be easily spread. It should be easily spread. You shouldn't be able to contain it everywhere you go. Your job, your, your, your family, they should know something's wrong. 
Something's different. Something's changed. We see some symptoms in this person infected with the gospel. The third thing I see in this passage, an effective church is an imitator of Jesus. Verses six and seven, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in the Macedonia region. People should sense Jesus in us, but also see Jesus in us. Do people sense Jesus in you? Better yet, do people see Jesus in you by the way you live your life? Again, if you've been infected, there's going to be some symptoms. Are those symptoms easily seen by everybody else? I was up north on vacation when the allergies hit me, and it was awful, man. It just oh, it knocked me down, and it was just awful, this, the runny nose and the congestion, and, and I just felt miserable. But I'm with a bunch of family, and you just know every time you cough, they're like, oh. like no, no, I'm telling you, it's allergies. People at work get around you, and they're like, oh, here he comes. Watch out, he's got Jesus, watch out. Stay clear, you better stay six foot from that one. Man, he's a Jesus freak. She's a Jesus freak. She, she uses Jesus. It's coming out of the orifices. Watch out. She's, she's spraying it. You got to stay clear. Is that how you are? Maybe you don't even know it, but, but people will know if you're infected because you're an imitator of Jesus. This is going to be a symptom that you, you share. People around will just, man, they're, they're different. They live differently. They act differently. I love what Billy Graham said. Our greatest need today is not more Christianity, but more true Christians. The world can argue against Christianity as an institution, but there is no convincing argument against a person who, through the Spirit of God, has been made Christ-like. There's no argument against that. This person was once this, and now they're this, and I can't deny that change. You can argue against... Christianity in the church today. You can argue uh, those kind of things, but you cannot argue against a life that's truly been infected by Jesus Christ. Your testimony as a believer, somebody who's been changed, is powerful. We ought to be sharing that story. Uh, And and some of the people don't even know why. They they don't even know what to share. In the scripture, I love that. I I love when they questioned a guy who was blind and he was healed. And they kept questioning and questioning. When did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus do this? What did he do? He said, listen, I don't know, but I once was blind and now I see. The lame man says, all I know is I, I I couldn't walk, but I met Jesus and now I can walk. Lazarus says, all I know was I died, and I was in a tomb. Next thing I know, I hear somebody saying, Lazarus, and here I am. Alistair Begg had a video I shared in my evangelism class this week. Evangelism class, did you watch it? Did you see it, Margaret? It's a good video, Alistair Begg. He's a Scottish preacher. I won't try to do his accent. Everything's better with a Scottish accent. And he's preaching about the guys on the cross. You got the two thieves and Jesus in the middle. And, and you got this whole thing going on where they're, even the thieves on the cross were mocking Jesus that day. But then something happened in one of their lives. When one guy got changed right there on the cross, he never went to Sunday school. He never got to give an offering. 
He never went to church. He's on the cross about ready to die and Jesus looks at him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then he shows up. He dies and goes to heaven. Can you imagine the welcoming committee there? When he shows up to heaven and he walks in and they're like, who are you? I'm the thief on the cross. What are you doing here? Well, I, I, I don't know. I was down there. I was on the cross. And then this guy in the middle, I, he was, it, it, hey, can you explain soteriology? I don't know what you mean by soteriology. Tell us about salvation. How's, how does somebody come to know? I don't know. Okay, tell us about baptism. I didn't have time to get baptized. They killed me. I'm dead. I showed up here. Well, well, tell me about the, uh, ecclesiology. Tell me about the end times. What do you believe? About? He says, I don't know anything about what you're talking about. Then how did you get here? Who let you in? He says, I don't know anything about anything, but I know this. The man in the middle said I could come. And so here I am. I'm telling you right now, church, we got to wake up and realize there are lost people. And we've been injected with purpose, infected with the gospel, and we're to be imitators of Christ, and there's nothing that the world can combat. Man, they can't come up with an inoculation against that. They can't keep themselves far enough apart from us. They can't demand that everything gets taken down from the walls of the halls of our governments. They can, they can do everything they try to do, but they cannot stop the fact that Jesus changes somebody. He can take a man on the cross and take him to heaven. He can take a, a, a drunk alcoholic with no hope and pull him out of a gutter and change their life. The Benson family just uh, invited me this past Thursday. I went to a, a program and, and uh, there the speaker was, what was his name? Craig, I get it wrong. It's not Craig Rochelle, it's Craig Roche, LaRoche, something close to that. He used to be the Speaker of the House in Michigan. Maybe you can go backwards a little bit, a couple years, decades, and then you go, oh, that Speaker of the House. Oh, yeah, that's right. He, he got kicked out of office. He got arrested for drunk driving. They tried to spin it. You know, tried to spin it saying it wasn't a problem. It was a one-time mistake. Four weeks later, got arrested again. Ended up in rehab. Kicked out of the, the uh, government here in Michigan. Speaker of the House to nothing. About ready to lose his wife. Everything's looking a mess. And here he is at rehab. And somebody comes and tells him about Jesus. And Jesus changes his life and saves his marriage. What a powerful, powerful story. He's got a great book. I'm working on it right now about a changed life and the power of hope. That's our message. You've been injected with it. You should be infected by it. And we should be imitating Christ so the world can see. We gotta go. Let's go. Fourth thing. An effective church is an infectious church. No, no duh, right? I already told you we're, we already got the disease ourselves, and we ought to be contagious. We're infectious to the world. The church that imitates Jesus and speaks his gospel in love will be known everywhere. I love what Paul said. You've been an example to the believers in Macedonia, but the Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia, for your faith in God has become known Everywhere. Everybody say everywhere. 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 Man. I know COVID had its heyday and then all of a sudden we think we're out of it and all of a sudden comes this Delta variant. It's more contagious. Man, I hope, I hope that we understand that the gospel in itself 
is contagious, but I hope that Oakwood can be the Delta variant of the gospel. (laughs) I hope we're the extra, extra contagious variant. (laughs) The gospel itself is the thing that's going to make a difference, but are we contagious? Are we an infectious church? Oh, church, I hope our purpose of making disciples uh, catches on in you. That's why we do what we do. That's why we work hard at trying to have children's ministry. We know that people that accept Christ before the age of 18, it's like 85% of people who are Christians accepted Jesus before the age of 18. Should that say something? Well, we ought to be trying to reach people before they hit 18. So our children's ministry matters. That's why we don't give up on our, our kids. We got a group of people working down there. I went and gave them communion. We do that on Sundays before you get here. I go down and I give them communion because they can't be here with us. And I see these workers and I'm so thankful that they're there on Sundays. And we got a wild team showing up on Wednesday night, going down to the basement with these kids, having a great time. Oh, I just go do five minutes in the opening. That's all I do. They give me five minutes to go hype up the kids and I go down. I come out soaking wet. Five minutes with children, I'm drenched in sweat. Kids scare me. They're hard, man. You got to be pumped up. And so why do we do what we do? Some people would say, don't do that. It's a waste of time. No, it's not a waste of time. Any moment I give in the life of a child to tell them about Jesus or to put them toward Jesus, man, that is worth it. It's part of our purpose. Why do we have small groups? Well, because uh, we got people coming to this church that know Jesus, but they need to be growing in discipleship. It's not enough to come. Listen, you can't be really infected just showing up once a week for an hour and 15 minutes. Once a week for an hour and 15 minutes is gonna get you nothing. You're not even gonna get, catch a cold. You gotta, you gotta get a little deeper. You wanna get really infected. You wanna get really injected. Man, you need to put yourself into a small group where you're doing life with people. And they're, they're, they're making you more like Christ because you have an opportunity to serve them like Christ and you got an opportunity to be served. Oh, why do we do what we do? We do what we do because making disciples matters. It's our purpose. We hired a youth pastor. Why? Because we love teenagers. We, don't, we haven't given up hope. The world's given up hope. The world's just given in on teenagers. They're nothing but problems. The news is full of stories about problems of teenagers. We don't believe that's true. They're not problems. They're full of potential. They're just starting. We should grab them and say, don't do what Pastor Don did. Don't live like that. You can do better than that. You can be saved from that. We, we, we can make a difference in teenagers' lives. It's our purpose. Listen, we're not, just, we're not just shooting into the wind here, folks. We're not just shooting arrows and then trying to chase them down and put a target there. No, we've got a purpose for what we do. The Harvest Festival is coming up in a few weeks. Why do we do that? It's not because we have a, a surplus of candy we've got to get rid of. By the way, we need more candy. You've got to bring candy to the church. A little, just a little plug. Just want to plug that in there. No, no, we do that because we want families to know. Families, come here. 300 people will be here for Harvest Festival or more. We just want families to know there's a church who likes kids. We take you. you, come on, come on. Watch out though, you might get infected. You might get the gospel. Man, I'm telling you what, what we do is what we do because of a purpose. It's the gospel, it's making disciples. Are you in? Are you injected? Are you infected? Are you imitating Jesus? And are we being infectious to the world? In the Greek, let me read that. Rang out. 
the Lord's message in verse 8. It rang out from you. That in the Greek uh, is what it says, is rang out. But in English, the word is echo. Echo. You echo the message from God. Have you ever been somewhere with a big cavernous area and you said, hello, hello, hello. Have you ever done that? Who's ever done that? I love doing that. I go, and you love hearing the repeat back, you know? You shout, I'm handsome, handsome, handsome. Yeah. I'm smart, stupid, stupid. What? You know, the echo never comes back with a different message. I looked all over for a video. I've seen that sketch done. It's hilarious. I looked all over for it. I couldn't find it. The echo never comes back with a different message. The echo comes back with the same message. And if we're going to be infectious to the world, we need to ring out the gospel. We need to echo the message of Jesus Christ. The echo repeats what is originally spoken. Are we being an echo of the gospel? That's the first chapter of Thessalonians. It's basically Paul's given a condemn, a commendation, not a condemnation, a commendation to the church. Listen, young church, we see that it took. You're injected with purpose. You're infected with the gospel. We see the change in you. We see that you're imitating Christ. That's the number one symptom. People that got it bad can see it in their symptoms. They imitate Christ. And we're seeing that you're infectious. It's known everywhere. Now listen, I don't care if Oakwood's known anywhere. We're not here to raise Oakwood's flag. We're not here to fly the flag of Oakwood. But I want to be an effective church. Are you with me? Church, do you want to be effective? My prayer is, God, make us an effective church. Listen, listen. I don't want to have a harvest festival just because it's fun to do stuff. That's just too much work for that. I don't want to, I don't want to have a youth ministry because it's hip and cool and we can get really cool bald youth pastors. I, I mean, I don't, we don't, we don't tear the basement apart and remodel it to make room just because it's, it's, we, we love our basement. No. None of that's worth it. I'm telling you, I work my can off around this place, running around, doing this and that, working here and there. Wednesday night, I got mocked. I was not in a bad way, but people were mocking me because I'm running to put garlic bread in because of the, the people had come in mass. We had over, I don't know, 65 people in the lobby wanting spaghetti, and they're like, we need more bread, Pastor, run and get the bread. And so I'm running and putting garlic bread. I'm up to here in garlic butter, you know, and then I'm like, oh my goodness. And, I'm, and, and one of the people that's new to our church, they came from a different church, and they, she came over to me. She's like, what are you doing? Has anybody told you you're the pastor? I know. (laughs) Garlic bread matters. (laughs) All of it's for the cause. All of it. So we work hard. And it's not just to be busy. It's to be effective. Join me. Join me. Get busy. Get, get, Get infected. Get injected. Get contagious so the world might know. Why? Because we got an elephant to take down. The best way to take down an elephant is with a club. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, please help us. God, inject us with purpose. Help us to know what we do and why we're doing it. It's not to be busy. It's not just to to, to do churchy things and it's not to compete with any other church around. God, I, I pray we would not, we wouldn't worry about any of that stuff. God, just inject us with purpose. The gospel. 
God, I pray it infects us. It just changes us. The symptoms would be so evident that other people would see it. And God, they're either going to run away scared or they're going to get it. They're going to get it. They're going to catch it. God, I pray it would be catching. Help us to echo out the gospel message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.